following audio is from Connection Church, located in Brownstown, Michigan, a place where you can connect, worship, and serve. For more information about Connection, go to cconline.church. We now continue with the, the reading of God's Word. Our reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles with you on your phone, or if you have one with you, feel free to follow along. We encourage you, if you have your phones on your Bible, we encourage you to follow along with that. There's, no, uh, there's no, nothing wrong with that. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So we are beginning uh, a new message series, a new message conversation uh, here at Connection Church called uh, Why Christian? Uh, and here's the big idea behind this message series. Uh, one of the things uh, that I love to do in my free time, uh, I still do it to this day, is I love to play hockey. I've been playing hockey my whole life. Uh, I still play in some, some men's beer leagues uh, to this day. Uh, and there's a funny thing that happens uh, whenever I get onto a team, there's always a moment at some point of me playing with them where they find out what I do. Like it kind of comes, I try, try and hold, this may sound bad, I try and hold off at least until they get to know me and then I'm like, okay, this guy's not weird, he's not some crazy person uh, until they find out that I'm a pastor. Uh, but it eventually comes out that like, hey, what do you do? And like, hey, you know, I'm a pastor. There's usually two responses that people have. One, it gets super weird. Like, I try my best, but they just, like, get super weird around me, and they're like, oh, my goodness, what did I say? You know, uh, you know <laughs> did I just offend this pastor? And it just gets weird. But then the other response is that people, like, they, they feel like they need to tell me, like, why they haven't been in church in a while, or, like, they just, they, it just wells up, and they're like, you know, we've been trying to make it, but this, that, and the other thing, and I'm like, I didn't ask you, like, that's, I, listen, like, I want you in church, but uh, it doesn't really matter to me, like, I'm just, just stop the guy in front of you from shooting on me, and we're all good, but, but those are the two common responses, and usually, whenever they, they give me the reasons, hey, this is why I haven't been going to church, some of the most common that I, that I have heard in my experience, and this might be familiar to you, this might be one of the reasons that, that maybe you're just hopping back into church that has held, held you off of coming to church, two of the most common reasons are this, or one of them, I should say, is that, that listen, Christianity and this whole Jesus thing, like, I, I grew up going to church, I, I got plugged in, but, 
but it reached a point where I just, it didn't make sense. Like, it just didn't feel like it could apply to my life at all. Like, it seemed like it was just something so distant and so foreign and something that really didn't have to do with my everyday life. So for this, uh, to answer that question, this is what this whole series is about. It's fundamentally getting at this question of like, okay, so what does Christianity, what does Jesus have to do with like our modern world, with our everyday life? What's the, what's the point of it? What's the like practical value that Christianity, that Jesus brings to us? And to have that conversation of why being a Christian, I would say, I would, I would put before you that being a Christian is, is not like, I'm not going to give you like a foolproof, like, oh, if you hear this thing, you're automatically going to become a Christian. Or if you share this thing, your friends are going to automatically become Christians. That's not how it works. Sorry to say. But I can say why I think being a Christian makes sense, why it's reasonable for people to still be Christians in our world today. And there's really two audiences, two people that I have in mind. One If you're here today and you have questions, if you're skeptical about Jesus, about Christianity, uh, my hope and my prayer is that that we can have this conversation and I can can put things before you and help you kind of pull back the curtain for why us Christians believe the things we believe and why we still are Christians to this day. So that's one audience. And the second audience is honestly for, for other Christians, for the Christians, the followers of Jesus that are gathered here today, because the reality is, I bet you have some friends who probably have questions about Jesus and Christianity too, who wonder, listen, why are you a Christian? And my hope and my prayer in this service is that you can actually begin to learn, like, okay, so what are some of the reasons why it makes sense to be a Christian? Why do we believe what we believe? And you can share that with your friends. That's the hope. That's the two audiences. And so what we're doing in this first week, this first reason for why Christianity makes sense is we're going to talk about this thing that is unique to Christianity, that is unique to Jesus, that no other religion or ideology or worldview has, and that's grace. Before we get into that, I do want to give you some some other common responses that people have to religion or faith, and I'm sure you've heard this and you might be in this camp. One very common response in our day is that, listen, I'm not a religious person. Like, I'm just not, like, a faith person. That's not my thing. I'm not into the whole religion stuff. And that's actually going to become more and more common in our culture. Uh, Right now, there was a Pew Research study done last year. They do a whole bunch of polls and research about people and their religious beliefs and their actions. And this came out that the the nuns, not like the nuns as in Catholic nuns, but like N-O-N-E-S, nuns, the people who say, I'm not a religion, I'm not a faith. I don't subscribe to any of that. They are now the largest section of the American population. 34% of people in America would say, that's where I find myself. Just to put it in comparison, Protestants, uh, which is where kind of we would fall, makes up 33%. And so that, that is a huge shift that is happening and is going to continue to happen. So more and more people are going to say, listen, I'm not into the whole religion thing. I'm not into that whole faith thing. But I would say to you this, and I would, I would recognize, yes, that is a, that's a completely reasonable and valid thing to be, and we want to honor that, and we want to uh, respect that belief. But I would say this, that even if you aren't a religious person, here's what I would say. All of us, no matter who we are, 
worship something. We all, no matter what religion or, or ideology, we all worship something. Martin Luther, uh, who was a pastor uh, and a, a former monk back in the, the 1500s, he put it this way. He said, listen, everybody has a God. And he put like a little g God. Everybody has a God. And what he meant by that is this. Everybody has something or someone that you find meaning from, that you get like your purpose in life from. Everyone has something that you place your security in, that you know, like, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean on this in times of struggle. I'm going to know that I'm going to be protected because of this thing or this person. And then because you trust in something, I'm going to put my hope in something. I'm going to, like, like you trust a chair, you're going to trust in something to, to be dependable. And all of us have something in our life. It might not be a deity or a divine being, but, but it might be uh, your bank account. It might be a family member might be your job. And what we're doing is we're putting our hope, we're putting our faith, we're putting our trust, we're putting our meaning into these things, and we're turning it into a God that we worship and that we pull our meaning from this life from. And Martin Luther would say, listen, you're worshiping that thing or that person. You have a God. David Foster Wallace, uh, much later than Martin Luther in the 1500s, David Foster, the late David Foster Wallace was a 20th, 21st century uh, author, uh, very famous in his uh, like kind of postmodern writings. He wrote a lot of literature that has become very famous. He was giving a commencement address at Kenyon, Kenyon College back in 2005, I believe, and here's what he said in this commencement speech. He said, here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Four Noble Truths, or some invaluable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Now, for those who don't know, David Foster Wallace is very much in a, a like he said, he's an agnostic. He, he's like, I don't claim any religion. I'm not, I'm not a Christian by any means. Here's why I share that with you. If you get a Christian monk from 500 years ago and a postmodern, angsty, agnostic author from 2000s to agree on the same thing, it's got to be true, right? Like, it's got to be true if these two guys from totally different worldviews and perspectives and life circumstances are both saying the same thing. It's got to be true. We all worship something. The question is, what do we worship? What do you worship? What do you get your trust in? What do you get your meaning and hope from? Second response, so, so not just the, I'm not religious, but the second response that tip, people typically give to, to religion and faith is that all religions are basically the same. And you might be in that camp. You might think that, that, that Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, like they're, they're all roughly the same. You know, there's that famous parable where, 
where you have the blind men around the elephant, and they're all feeling different parts of the elephant. And like, well, the elephant, is, it feels very like, long and slender because it's feeling the, the trunk. And then they're like, well, I'm feeling a lot, of, a lot of hair, and it's moving around a bunch. They're feeling the tail. They're like, no, it's just like a brick wall. And they're feeling their, their, the legs. And what many people would say is that's what religions all are. They're basically all going after the same thing, just with kind of different names. And believe it or not, I would, I would agree with that statement to a point. I would agree with that to a point. There was a debate in the 1940s over in England with some religious professors and different experts from all these different religions, and they got together and they started having the question, hey, so what exactly makes us all different? And what, what is the similarities between all the different world religions, all the different world I- ideologies? What's the same things, and what are the things that separate us? And largely, they came away with two things that, that they all shared. They all shared that there is a morality outside of ourselves, that there's a right and a wrong that, that we simply don't get to decide that is coming from outside of us, whether it's a divine being, whether it's like a set of principles that are just enduring in the universe, We all have right and wrong that we just don't simply get to make up, but it's outside of us. And that there's things that you do that are right and things that you do that are wrong. And if you do the good things, blessings come to you. And if you do the wrong things, well, you can expect bad things to come to you because of that. And the second thing that they all agreed on is that, yes, there are morality outside of us. There's right and wrong. uh, And all of us, to varying degrees, don't measure up. Every religion would agree on that point, that there is something wrong in the world around us and there's something wrong in us. That we don't measure up to that, that rightness, that, that avoiding the wrongs of this world. And all these religious experts would agree with that. Call it sin, call it brokenness, whatever you want to call it. And Christianity would, would actually agree with those things. We read in Ephesians chapter 2 these verses. The Apostle Paul says this, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now these verses um, have some very harsh and intense words in them. I don't think anybody's getting this on their t-shirt or on their coffee mug and being like, yeah, like this is a motivational verse that we're sharing from the Bible. I don't think any of us are doing that. But it's there. And here's what we see in these verses that Paul is sharing. First, we, we see this, that, that there is a morality, that there is a right and a wrong. Because here's the thing, you, you can't have disobedience without the opposite, which is obedience, which is following the rightness, following the things that are, you're supposed to do. And so you already see that, that, that Christianity says, like, yeah, there is right and there's wrong. So again, agreeing with all of those major religions and ideologies. And second, we see this, that we completely fail at following through with the right and avoiding the wrong. Like, we completely fail at doing that. And that's what it says. Like, we know what we should do. I think if we were to sit down, like, one-on-one, and if I were to ask you, like, hey, do you know in general, like, what it means to be a good person? 
I'm pretty sure all of us would be like, yeah, like I pretty much know what it means to be a good person. Like, should you steal something from somebody? No, it's probably not good. Should you like kill anybody? I think all of us could be like, yeah, it's probably a bad thing to do. And I think everybody would acknowledge that. Nearly everybody would acknowledge that. But here's the thing. How many people steal stuff? How many people uh, murder and kill for a variety of reasons? But how many people know that it's the wrong thing to do, and yet they do it anyway? See, we know what we should do, but we fail at following through with it. And the Bible, it calls that sin. It calls that brokenness. And, and that may be like a church word for you, like a fancy kind of churchy word, but here's the thing. Sin is just simply the wrongdoings that, that we do to ourselves and that we do to other people. It hurts you, it hurts me, it hurts other people, and it drives that wedge in between our relationship with God. And we heard these words in, in this verse that, that because we have done that, because all of us are guilty and have committed those sins, have, have not done what we should do and done the opposite of it, that we are considered children of wrath. And that word, again, is not a word that we commonly use. It's not a word that, that we like. It's not a word that I like. But here's what that is. Um, when someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, whether it be um, emotionally, physically, whatever it is, however a person hurts you, there's something in you that wells up and there, you, you say, there has to be justice for this. You may not say it just like that, but we all want justice when a wrongdoing is committed against us, against someone we love, when we look at the news and we see people who are being abused by those in power, and we say, listen, there has to be something done. There has to be justice given. Friends, that, that feeling, that emotion for justice to be done, that is wrath. It's wanting justice to be done. It's wanting the wrongdoings that, that someone commits to be put right. And it says that, that we, because of our own actions, because of our own disobedience, we are deserving of, of that justice because all of us have gone astray. And it says that what we deserve is, is wrath and punishment and death. That is what we deserve. And so you may be saying, okay, so that's all like in alignment with what all the kind of major religions and ideologies teach is that there's morality and we fail to live up to it and we deserve punishment, we deserve to be cast out. So what exactly makes Christianity unique then? Well, what makes Christianity unique is how God responds to us based off of what we've done. I want to go back to that religion debate um, those professors and those leaders of those religions were, were having that conversation about like, hey, here's all the commonalities we have. And then another professor walked in. His name was C.S. Lewis. Now, many of you may be familiar with C.S. Lewis as he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He's written a host of other books. And C.S. Lewis came into the room and he said this. He said, listen, I, I agree with you that all these things are in common, but here's the thing that sets Christianity apart from everything else grace. That's what makes Christianity so unique to anything else in this world is grace. And all of the other people, they just kind of nodded along, like, yeah, you're right. That is unique. Christianity is the only one with this grace. 
And here's what I mean. They all agreed because every other religion has some form of of karma, to use that word kind of broadly. Which means this, if you do good, if you put out good to the universe, good's going to come back to you. If you put out badness, if you put out bad vibes, badness is going to come out to you. Like, that's roughly how we're wired to think and how most other ideologies and religions say, listen, if you follow the rules, if you do the things you're supposed to do, and you avoid the bad things, and you kind of measure the scales out, it'll all be good. Christianity doesn't work like that. Christianity is this. It's, it's grace. It's God's favor, his love, his forgiveness, his blessing going to people who don't deserve it. Going to people who have done the wrong thing but being treated as if they did the right thing. That is what Christianity is all about. That is what Jesus is all about, that that the unlovable things in us, God's grace makes lovable. Because God's grace comes to us even when we least deserve it. That is what Christianity is all about. We, we try to run from God. We rebel against him. We're deserving of punishment and wrath and death. And yet Jesus, we sang about it earlier, he runs after us. He chases us down. He climbs every mountain. He knocks down the walls. And he gives to us his reckless and amazing and unending love. That is grace. Ephesians 2, after verses 1 through 3, because that describes what we deserve, punishment, wrath, and death. Picking up in verse 4, we see the greatest three-letter word in all of the scriptures. Starting in verse 4, it says, But, but God, even though we deserve this, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of the grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Friends, that's Christianity in four verses. That's it. That's what this is all about. (laughs) Like all the things that we're doing here, when we get together, we worship, we set things up, we get in our small groups, we go out and serve. Here's what it's all about. It's all about grace. It's all about Jesus giving us his grace again and again. And again, to people who don't deserve it, to me and you and all the other people who don't deserve his love, he gives it to us anyway. There are typically two responses to this grace that I've seen. One is indifference. Uh, It's indifference uh, because people usually think, listen, I'm a pretty good person. Like if I look at somebody else and I kind of compare like what I've done and I look at what they've done, like the reality is like, I'm really not all that bad. You should look at, at, at Jim Bob over there. And that's what we do. And we're like, yeah, I'm really not that bad. And we have indifference towards God's grace. But here's the thing. Um, you and I, all of us, we are not graded on a scale. We're not graded on a curve when we have to compare with other people. No, 
God looks at us and he says, listen, how have you done with, with what I've said? How do you compare against me and my perfection? How do you do against that? And you may say, listen, I don't believe in God. Okay, what about yourself? What about kind of the bar that you set in your own life, your own uh, expectations, your own like benchmark that you set? Like I think all of us would agree a good benchmark to live by is this, the golden rule, treat others as you would want to be treated yourself. Like we're all in agreement on that, right? No matter where we come from, that's like a good life like policy. How have you been doing with that? Like that's, like, that's it. Like, that's the one thing. Treat others the way you would want to be treated. How have you done, like, how have you done that today? It's 11 o'clock. How have you done that today? I think we're honest. Like, we don't even meet our own standard. To be indifferent about grace is to not realize how bad we actually are. And so we need to recognize that. Second response that, tip, that people typically give is this. Are we really talking about grace again? Usually this comes from Christians. Just to be totally honest. Usually this comes from people who've been in church and they're like, listen, we're going to talk about grace again? Like, listen, I got that. I was saved. I checked the box. I'm all good. I got the grace. Let's move beyond it. Here's what I got to tell you. Um, we at Connection Church, many of you probably know this already, but we at Connection Church, we... We're, we're a Christian church, but specifically, we, we are a Lutheran Christian church. And one of the key teachings for us as Lutherans, drawn out of the Bible, is this Latin phrase. Here's a $10 Latin phrase that you can impress uh, your bar friends later today. Uh, Simul justus et peccator. And a $10 phrase. Here's what it means. It's translated roughly to, at the same time, saint, like justified, forgiven. At the same time, you were a saint, and at the same time, you're a sinner. And what we teach and what we believe is this. You are at the same time completely forgiven and redeemed and saved by the work of Jesus Christ. And yet, at the same time, you and I are still sinners. Daily needing to repent. Daily needing to turn away from the sin that, that we commit, that we still fall into to this day. Both of these things are true at the exact same time. And so here's what that means. We are never beyond grace. You are never beyond the need for grace. I am never beyond the need for grace. We need it every single day of our lives. That's what we need. We need his grace. And so here at Connection Church, just to let you know, like we're going to talk about faith and life and how they interact and how we live in this world. We're going to talk about how we mature and grow as a community of faith and as followers of Jesus. We're going to talk about that. But at the foundation of it all is this. We're going to talk every Sunday. You're going to hear me every Sunday talk about this same topic again and again. Grace. Every Sunday, you're going to hear it. Because every Sunday, you and I, we need to hear it. We need to get it. We're never going to get tired and beyond God's grace. And so that's what he gives to us again and again and again. It's grace even when we don't deserve it. I want to quickly go back to that Ephesians 2 passage. There are three characteristics to kind of tuck away, like what is grace? Three characteristics. One, it's undeserved. Uh, When I was in high school, I just got my license for like two months. 
I was driving home. I lived in Minnesota at the time, which if you're familiar with Minnesota, it snows a lot. It was February. I was going home after school. There was fresh snow on the ground, and I'm invincible because I'm a 16-year-old high school guy, and I'm like, I got this. I've been driving for two whole months. This is old hat. I'm driving, and I was going way too fast for what I should have been doing for the conditions, spun out into the other lane and got T-boned. I'm all good. The other person, all good. Praise God. But here's the thing. Like, I was totally at fault. It was completely my fault. I went into the other lane of traffic. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I'm standing there before the judge, and the judge is saying, like, okay, so how do you plead, and, and what's kind of your reasoning? Like, tell me about the situation. And I just laid it all out there, and I'm like, listen, like, it is my fault. <laughs> I know it is. It's totally my fault, and I leave myself at, at your whim and your, and your judge. And the judge then looked at me and, and basically said this, like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it completely off your record. I'm just going to wipe it completely off. Now, the judge then said, like, listen, you're still learning, and if I take away your license, you're not going to be able to learn. But here's the thing. I did not deserve that treatment in that moment. There was nothing I did to justify me receiving that. Friends, that, that is what we have been given in grace. Completely undeserved. Completely free because of God. It says this, that we were even dead in our trespasses. Listen, he's using that vivid imagery to show you this. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You can't take any credit for God's grace in your life, and yet he gives it to you anyway, completely undeserved. Second thing is that it is unobligated. Think about this. Uh, what was God's motivation to give you his grace and his mercy? Did he kind of pick you out and say, you know what, I need her on my team. Like, I'm really struggling. I need her on my team because she's going to really add a contribution to this and really make this whole thing of Christianity explode and grow. No. God doesn't need us. He is unobligated to give us this grace, to welcome us in. He doesn't need anything from us, but guess what? He gives it to you. And his motivation is this. In, in, in those verses we read, it says the motivation that he has is because of the great love that he has for us. That's the motivation. Not because you're awesome or I'm awesome. I think you're awesome. But if we're honest, we're not awesome all the time. And God still gives us mercy and grace. So it's undeserved, it's unobligated, and lastly, it's unbelievable. Uh, have you ever received a gift that you're just like, this gift is so big and so amazing, like you feel guilty accepting it? You guys ever be in that sense? And you're like, I have to like give something in response to show like gratitude, to show like, hey, I got to somehow like pay them back for what they gave me because it's such a big gift. But anything you would give would be insulting. You ever, be, you ever been there? Listen, the, the best way to, to respond to a gift like that is to simply do this, to enjoy the gift. Because by you enjoying the gift, not trying to earn your way back, by you enjoying the gift, you're giving honor to the giver. When you receive a gift like that, you enjoy the gift, and by doing that, you give honor to the giver. Listen, the gift of God's grace is unbelievable. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the, the wicked, 
sinful person that I am and that you are. He sees Jesus. He sees you as as a perfectly loved and forgiven child of God. That is what he sees when he looks at you. You have been raised up into Jesus Christ's place. That is unbelievable. (laughs) Because most days I, I kind of feel not that way, but God says every day I look at you and that's what I think. That's what I see. It's unbelievable. Bono. Everybody know Bono? Lead singer of U2. We all got like a free album a few years ago if you had an iPhone or iPod. So Bono was doing an interview with a French journalist a few years ago, and, and in the interview, Bono kept bringing up Jesus. He just kept talking about him. And the French journalist tried to move on, but Bono just kept bringing up Jesus. And finally, the journalist said this. Listen, like, okay, but haven't people done appalling things in the name of religion? And here's what Bono said. He says, it's a mind-blowing concept that the God of the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. And the interview asked him, like, well, what's that? And Bono says this, at the center of religions is the idea of karma. What you put out comes back to you, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Or in physics, the physical laws, every action is met by an equal and opposite one. And yet, along comes this idea of grace that upends it all. Love interrupts the consequences of my actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. He didn't say stupid. And the interview then asked him, like what? And Bono's like, listen, that's between me and God. But I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my judge. It does not excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out to the fact that Jesus took my sin onto that cross because I know who I am, and I, I hope that I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. Bono gets it. It's all about grace. And Jesus and Christianity, that's what it's all about, and it makes it so unique. So no matter who you are here today, no matter what you walked in with, no matter what phase of life you're in, God's grace is for you. He gives it to you, free, completely undeserved, unobligated, and the unbelievable gift of God. That's what he gives to you. I want to close by talking about a guy named John Newton. We all know John. Uh, John Newton, he was born in England in the mid-1700s. He had a Christian mother and a very anti-religious father. His mother died when he was seven, and he grew up with this bitterness and with this anger and resentment toward God and religion. And then as he grew up, he entered his, his father's trade, which essentially meant he became a drunken sailor. That's what he became, literally a drunken sailor. He had a reputation for inventing new swear words. And the, the, the myth is that he went for two hours straight without repeating himself with swear words. I don't know what to do with that. It's kind of impressive, but that's who he was. But here's the thing. He was not a liked guy. Like, he was not well-liked by his crew. They hated him so much that when they were sailing in Africa, they got on the boat and they left him. They just abandoned him in Africa. They're like, all right, everybody here? All right, sounds good. Let's leave John. And so he was left over in Africa, and he was captured, 
He was tortured for years. He had to eat off the ground without using his hands. And he starved. Eventually, though, a couple years later, he escaped using a a beach fire. He was able to, to get rescued by a boat. And on that boat, the pain and the bitterness and the resentment grew in him. And when he got back to England, he he entered the slave trade. And he would go and he would get men, women, and children from Africa and load them up on the slave trades and sell them, separating families and enslaving people. That's what he did. Here's the thing, though. He still was a very unlikable guy, even to his crewmates. And so it reached a point that that he got everybody drunk, he fell overboard, and they had to like spear him with one of those fishing hooks to get him back in. And and they're like, dude, that's just John being John again, I guess. He was a mess of a human being and an absolute monster. And a storm came one day, and in that storm, John did something he hadn't done since he was a kid. He prayed. (laughs) And he said, God, uh, I want you to get me out of this Storm, please. And God did bring him out of that. He made it out of it alive, but he, was, he got sick, and so his crew was like, listen, you're sick. we got to kick you off the boat. So they dropped him off back at England. And while he was in England, John then started going to church. And at church, he heard this message of grace, that God's love, that God's forgiveness was for people like him. And he believed it. He believed it. And then three things became true of him that would mark his legacy for the rest of his life. Uh, He became a pastor. Uh, He worked with with other people in England to abolish the slave trade without having a civil war, is what they were able to do. And then lastly, he was known for writing a song called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Friends, if God's grace is for a guy like John, God's grace is for a guy for people like you and people like me. And if God's grace can change someone like John, God's grace can change people like you and like me. So that's why I'm a Christian. Because God's grace is unique in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Connection Church. We pray it was a blessing to you, and we hope to see you soon. For worship times and more information about Connection, go to cconline.church.